Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night. That means, here on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels, it's Midweek Motorsport. I'm John Hindhoff, for once, live from Hindhoff Towers, looking out across an absolutely still meadow in front of the street. There is not a breath of wind tonight. It's up near 30 degrees Celsius as it has been seemingly for the last month or so. Extraordinarily warm and on a packed programme tonight we have what Tim Gray up in London we have all the usual features Smashing. Uh, with uh, many of our usual contributors <laughs> many, I like that, very good um, It's uh, uh, let's go through a little bit of housekeeping first Chris Suku says no EFAs tonight no apologies for absence, enjoying a chicken salad wrap and a large bowl of berries for dinner uh, Alex Orkin has uh, he stopped being uh, David Essex now? Sorry? Has he stopped being David Essex? Was that Chris? Oh, it was Alex. It was Alex who was Alex, being David yeah. Essex in... Uh, oh, what a circus. Oh, what a show. Wasn't it? Ed Guilford. That's uh, Woking. Woking, that's right. Oh, yes, correct. Absolutely. Uh, Alex not feeling well tonight. He's feeling a bit poorly. Uh, Kevin Payne, listening He's live morning. tonight. Sorry, Tim, go ahead. It's morning of the death. Okay. of an actress named David Perron. Uh, Carol Brinks in uh, Monterey, not the one where it happened, uh, the one in California. Foggy in 64 degrees Fahrenheit there, hot to hear then in that case. Mark Harrison's listening live, but says he might be a little bit late, as uh, that's the best time to get his dogs out, Wendy and Flora. They also listen and are two true, two true midweek motorsport fans. Hello to Neil Bourne and Alan Space. Alan listening in. From Myrtle Beach after unwinding from an exciting Lime Rock Park weekend. We'll be talking about that later on. The Burning Ring of Fire. Happy days, he says. I've booked the ferry to France for next June and looking forward already to Le Mans 2019. Ready for tonight's show with a large gin and a small tonic. Absolutely the correct proportions there, sir. Uh, Listening for the first time in a month, Chris Hump. Is it proper tonic water? What's proper tonic? Well, quinine, not this slimline rubbish. Mm. You've got to have quinine in it. It's the only thing that keeps the uh, keeps the malaria off, isn't it? Exactly. But yes. certain brands are taking theirs away, haven't no, they? No, surely yes. not. Yes. But surely not. Surely not. Uh, Chris Humphreys is tuned in for the first time in a month. Recovering from a busy weekend at Silverstone for the Silverstone Classic. He's at the Snetterton round of British Touring Cars. And a special double-length race three. 
he says. Mm, uh, 60 Jesse, miles for 60 years. Oh, really? Is that what it is? Hello, all from a hot and sunny Los Angeles. Uh, well, yes, midday, yes, I suppose it will be eight hours behind. It's hot here as well, Jesse. Good to have you in tonight. Add specutainment, please. Um, Fran Bleasdale listening tonight, but is in Warsaw working, uh, just off the uh, confluence of the M6 and the M5 there. That's where Warsaw is, isn't it? I think so. Uh, that's where you can see it from the M6 if you don't take the toll road. Yeah, correct. Absolutely right. Um, and uh, hello to Joe Blaisdell tonight as well, who's been playing cricket uh, very, very impressively for his county juniors. Uh, first time in their history, I think, they've had an innings uh, victory uh, over an opponent. And uh, he took a few wickets as well. We're claiming him as one of ours. We'll have him in the uh, the cricket team, in the Midweek Motorsport cricket team. The one I which hasn't played for a very long time. For a very long time. I need Over to a decade. No, no, I think it's closer than that. Um, mm, I, I, I need to was. whip out me willow and, uh, and and get a bit of linseed on it, I, th- I think, for some stage. Uh, Burning Ring of Fire says, Fever Last tree. time the Midweek Motorsport cricket team played... Yes. One of the little Brabhams was still at school. Yes, that's right. Sam Brabham. Sam Brabham was playing. I wasn't sure which one it was. And he's another good bowler as well. Uh, Burning Ring of Fire says, It is indeed a full fat tonic from Fever Tree with Curio Gin. Good, yeah. Yeah, we we approve. Fever Tree is the best tonic. It's very expensive, but it's it's very good. If they want to send us some, then... uh, We'd be happy. send you an address. We, we, yes. I don't think you're allowed to do that nowadays, but okay. Just to prove we're live, by the way, yep. uh, 30 for 1. Uh, excellent. Very good. I, I, I'm impressed that you're doing that. Um, coming up later in the show, we'll be waking up Richard Crail as we talk Australian motorsport. We've got uh, a couple of stories for Crail seat to go through later on. Shea Adam is back in Fort Lauderdale and will be joining us as well. No Declan Brennan... Uh, tonight he's a bit busy on family duty Nick Damon will be with us although we did have to speak to Nick earlier on this week as he uh, he is busy this evening he's actually got that thing work uh, but we start tonight with rather too much sad news Tim indeed uh, we start uh, with the announcement earlier this morning of the death of Sergio Marchioni uh, from complications to shoulder surgery uh, Marchioni, of course, the accountant who created Fiat Chrysler back in 2009, credited with saving both those companies, mm. both those car manufacturers from bankruptcy. It joined Fiat in 2004 following the death of Gianni Agnelli, uh, and within 12 years had wiped out the company's debts, which were estimated at more than 12 million euros. Billion. 12 billion euros, sorry. He took charge of the Ferrari Formula 1 team in 2014, embarking on a massive restructuring and bringing Sebastian Vettel to the team the following year. He had been planning to retire next year. The new chief executive, Mike Manley, had been already widely tipped to succeed him. The Italian president, Sergio Mattarella, said Marchioni wrote an important page in the history of Italian industry. As leader of Fiat, he went through years of very deep and radical transformation of markets, production systems, financial strategies and trade union relations. A true internationalist as well, um, Tim. He was the the son of a policeman, uh, emigrated to Canada in his early teens with his mum and dad and uh, spoke... three or four different languages. He, he was a bean counter. He was, you know, as you rightly said, he was a, 
uh, an accountant by trade. That was that was what he, he studied and, and, and qualified in in Canada. But he was a, an accountant with a heart and a passion, a massive Alfa Romeo fan, and has done an awful lot for that brand within FCE, created Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, as you, you rightly say. In 2003, um, Fiat itself was making a £6 billion uh, euro loss. In two years, that was in profit. Wiped out that whole debt, as you said. That was his last big announcement, actually. He was famed for the way he talked to the press and did the effectively the State of the Union addresses. And that was his big announcement at his, at his last one, that that uh, $13 billion debt had been wiped out. An extraordinary man, and he'll be missed. The, the stock's taken a hit on, his, uh, on the announcement of his uh, retirement, his early retirement, and, and I'm sure we'll take another hit on his on his debt. But he has left FCA, Fiat Chrysler and the group in a better place than when he found it. Uh, John Elkan, who, who is the grandson of Gianni Agnelli, um, who was co-opted onto the Fiat board in 1997 when he was just 21, he's going to take over Ferrari and the likelihood is he'll look after the Formula One team as well. So we get an... Agnelli back at uh, Ferrari. Um, his uh, his mum was a, uh, a a Margarita was uh, an Agnelli. Uh, we will not see the likes of uh, of Sergio Marchionne again. Uh, a proper enthusiast, fantastic. He's done such a good job for all of the brands he looked after. Uh, Trace Carey, the chief executive yes. from the one, said he was a great leader both for the sport and the business world generally. He led with great passion, energy and insight and inspired all around him. His contributions to Formula 1 are immeasurable. He was a true friend to all of us and would be deeply missed. And Toto Wolf added, this is a sad day for everyone in Formula 1. We've lost a huge supporter of our sport, a fierce competitor, an ally and a friend. Our heartfelt sympathies are with Sergio's family and all at Scuderia Ferrari this difficult time. And we echo those sentiments, of course. Uh, our second obituary tonight is for that of a man that many of you perhaps will not have heard uh, about, but you will know his work. Christopher Svensson was Ford's global design director and the man who basically oversaw the project of the current Ford GT. He lost his battle against cancer uh, this week at the age of 53. Now, Svensson, who... Uh, came from Scandinavian uh, background, was born in Sunderland in 1965 and uh, went to Sunderland Poly for an arts foundation degree, then Coventry University and held a Master of Arts degree from the Royal College of Art. He joined Ford Germany in 1992 as an exterior designer and had a successful career at Ford which lasted for over a quarter of a century. Uh, Ford Motor Company uh, said after uh, Chris's death, sad to learn the passing of Ford designer director Chris Venson. He was a talented designer, an inspiring leader, offended many people and made countless contributions to Ford during his 26-year career. He'll be greatly missed our thoughts and prayers to his family and that's Sonia and their twin daughters who survive him. A third obituary tonight is Jim Porter, who died uh, yesterday at the age of 78. He was uh, the co-driver, uh, most famously for Roger Clark, but also Hanu Mickler and Ove Anderson. Uh, his first international victory came with Clark in 1968 uh, with the Acropolis and Tulip rallies. Uh, 
but he also uh, won the British Rally Championship four times in 1965, 1972, 73 and 75. He won the Rally of the Alps twice with Mikola and Anderson in 69 and 71. Six-time winner of the Rally Scotland, uh, three-time winner of the Circuit of Ireland uh, and winner also of the Rally of Cyprus and Rally of New Zealand in 1973. Sadly, that's the not, not the last of our sad news uh, this evening um, because our fourth obituary this evening to start off midweek motorsport is that of Dave Mirage, Davinda Mirage, uh, the man behind champion Porsche and Audi and, of course, champion racing. Uh, he was originally from Trinidad and Tobago. He was uh, a bit of a rally fan when he was out there. And he started champion in 1998, so 30 years ago. And since the very first year of champion Porsche, it has been the largest Porsche dealership in America. The Pompano Beach headquarters is well known by anybody who is from that part of the year. Champion Racing, of course, is how many of our listeners will know him. The company opened their motorsport arm in the mid-1990s. Porsche and Audi were the two brands that they raced. Uh, I think particularly of the Audi S4 competition that dominated World Challenge, taking the title in 2001 and 2002. Then the S6 came along. Of course, the American Le Mans series with huge success as what was effectively the Audi factory team in North America. They took overall and LMP1 class teams and drivers championship every year from 2004 through to 2008 with the Audi R8 and then the Audi R10 at TDI. Let's not forget as well that they were the American team that became the first Stars and Stripes flagged winner of the Le Mans 24 in 2005 since 1967 and one of just three uh, American wins at the big race. Tom Christensen uh, won for them in uh, that year. Uh, actually, it was uh, 19, uh, 2005. It was J.J. Leto, Marco Werner and Tom Christensen that won for AG, ADT Champion Racing uh, in that year. And one could probably say that that was the last non-full factory team because they were racing against the factory in those years and uh, that was a massive uh, massive feather in Dave's cap I've got with me uh, next to me here in the studio the uh, champion book that David Tremaine read and I've been looking over that over the last few days and my goodness me what a huge amount of memories there are for me of course I've been working in America since the end of 1998 and champion racing have been part of that for a, a very very long time uh, we we pass on our condolences to uh, Dave's partner and to everyone at champion at the dealership at Pompano Beach and to everyone that knows him there's a lot of people in the IMSA paddocks and paddocks around the world in world sports car racing who will be mourning the passing of Dave Mirage who uh, sadly died uh, in uh, an accidental death uh, just overnight on uh, Tuesday, Monday into Tuesday, our time, at uh, just 66 years old. Our thoughts with everyone we've mentioned tonight and all of their family and friends. 
all the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Time to shuffle your papers, Tim. What have you got for us? Uh, well, uh, we're going to start with Formula One. Yay. He's not here. We uh, do have him uh, earlier this week. Yes, I went to see him earlier this week. So do we have a bit of Nick then? Uh, yes. There we go. You've just got that on a hotkey now. I suspect if I just say, Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent. Hooray! (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, As we have mentioned, Nick is travelling and unable to join us live. However, we did get a chance to talk to him earlier in the week about the German Grand Prix, and John started by asking about the crowd figures, with Hockenheim absolutely full on Sunday, but much emptier on Saturday, on uh, Friday. Um, yeah, I think the German Grand Prix is suffering. Uh, I think last time, I've not seen the three-day figure for this year. Two years ago, it was only about 60,000 in three days. I don't think it was... Much. 142, I think it was this year. Really? Yeah, that's what they were claiming. Silverstone counting then? I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that, that they were, weren't that happy with the numbers because they were already talking about potentially whether it's going to come back. The issue is, obviously, we remember the fantastic years of, like, from when Germany burst onto the scene with, with Schumi and then the, the, those, that 12 or 13 year run. Um, then corresponding with that was a sort of a downturn and a sort of general falling out of love with the sort of thing within Germany. The problem with the, both the circuits had problems, um, most notably Nürburgring, of course, which was. A disaster. Um, and the net effect has been, it's almost gone out of the habit. And, and also, Sebastian Vettel, despite being a four-time world champion in German, isn't very popular in Germany, much as Nico Rosberg was. Not, he's not unpopular, don't get wrong, he's not unpopular, he's just not a big name. Because he calls, the thing about, the big difference between Lewis Hamilton and, uh, and Sebastian Vettel, you think he was, millions of big differences. The biggest difference as far as the outside world is concerned is that Lewis Hamilton registers in worlds outside of F1, um, for good or for bad. Uh, whereas Sebastian Vettel doesn't literally he leaves the paddock and that is it Sebastian Vettel has not ever confirmed the name of his children or what sex they are he has a everyone's entitled their privacy but in some ways you know if you want to build a following up you have to be a little more open he is so protective of his own uh, privacy that no one is allowed to know anything outside of the the Ferrari team Uh, 15 16,000 Dutch who came with their own bits of paper. So during the national anthem, when the German flag was spread all the way around the stadium, which did look very good, although I have to say the rendition of the national anthem was um, interesting. Um, They had the Dutch colours and then it swapped to orange, which was very good. I thought that was good. Um, First of all, let's talk about practising qualifying. And um, did you see Morris Hamilton's tweet? No. He, on Saturday, early on, said, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't want to get, I I feel already the hot breath of the uh, responsible adult. I don't want to get (laughs) us into any trouble. Um, Morris Hamilton suggested in quite strong terms that Lewis Hamilton may have been out enjoying himself uh, in uh, respect of... Uh, being at places where adult beverages are served the night before and looked a little the worse for wear, shall we say. Um, Morris was far less um, equivocal than I have just been. Um, 
he was noticing how he was walking and how he was moving and saying, I recognise that because I've been like that plenty of times before. I mean, he did not have a good Saturday. He was well out of sorts. And whatever we think about the car, he tried to get the car back when he'd been told to stop it. But one, two, three, four bounces in the air. No other wonder the car was damaged. Well, yeah, interestingly, there was a, a, a buzz went round, is Lewis ill? Has he hurt his leg? Um, interestingly, you know, has he, you know, has he been on the? It's unlikely. I think it's unlikely he'd been on the ale unless it was his met up with Adrian Suttle again, and we'll leave that one there as well, Eve. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it, they are saying, and he, the, actually, the reason he bounced over the um, barrier, the, the curb so bad is because the, the hydraulics had already broken the corner before, and his power steering had gone, so he couldn't actually. Now, who, we'll never know. Whether that what, what was caused and what was effect, whether he bounced the power, st- the hydraulics went, and they thought, oh, well, let's cover it up. But Mercedes, who aren't known for fibbing, you know, they they they, they, they wouldn't call it an electrical fault if there was a conrod come out the side of the block, unlike Honda. Um, you know, they they would they they basically you know said that the the corner before the hydraulics went, the first thing to go is the power steering, and that's why he couldn't get the thing on the line. That's why it went bumpy, bumpy, bump, and bump, and and it was a. You know, either cause nor effect. It was a disaster Saturday. I think, you know, he no one got any running early on. So perhaps he was trying to use the fresh air to wipe the cobwebs away. He didn't get a chance to do that. But, um, yeah, and it did look... And it did, obviously, coming out of Saturday with not only Fettel on pole, but Fettel in a commanding pole. It did look very, very bleak if you were a Lewis fan for his World Championship hopes. Already eight points behind. Almost certain to drop 10 to 12 more. I watched the first almost 30 laps before I jumped on the plane coming back from Imza at Lime Rock Park. I then on the plane watched all of the golf, which I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Watching live sport on a transatlantic flight is is genius idea. Um, the Grand Prix wasn't on. I studiously avoided the results. I didn't put the news channels on. I got back home, immediately got my phone fired up, and bef- I didn't look at any social media. I checked Sky Sports to see when the repeat was on. It was on at 10 to 11. So I got in, fast-forwarded it to where I'd picked up, sat down with a glass of wine whilst we were doing a bit of unpacking, and watched through, and I was quite impressed the way Lewis had come through the field. I thought, all right, we're doing all right here. Then we had that long bit where... Um, and I, I, again, I thought Bottas did all right, not great. Um, but then we had that long period where Ferrari should have let Vettel through on Kimi. Uh, I loved Kimi's attitude. Look, just tell me what you want to do. Stop talking around in circles, basically. He was saying, if you want him to go by, ask him to go by. And then it rained, then it stopped, then it rained, then it stopped, then it rained and then Vettel fell off. I think, I think Vettel fell off on the second bit of rain. Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, effectively what happened, and it is, a, it is a point that I think the skillful thing that Lewis did was not getting up to fifth place, because that was going to happen anyway. Correct. The gulf between the, the top three teams and the rest is ridiculous. Well, and he knows he can do that because he did it at Silverstone. And also, uh, yeah, and despite what he said, there is a very good overtaking point. But you're going to get one a lap coming into the hairpin. Mm-hmm. We got, yeah, yes, all right, you probably is, is tricky to get two or three unless they help you, and a couple did. But you know, you're going to get to fifth. But, but the point about it is, in doing that, you've got to overtake 10 cars, so you drop back one place, mm-hmm. and you're going to run a lot of dirty air. And one of the things you need to do is run long on your tyres, and therefore, the thing I was impressed by is he did that in reasonably quick time and kept the tyres together. And um, I mean, that was good strategy by Mercedes. Now, we've criticised Mercedes plenty uh, when they've got it wrong. They got the strategy 
pretty much spot on. Bottas was out there. They didn't jump when Ferrari jumped early with Raikkonen, which I thought they might, and that looked like that was a mistake from Ferrari as well. Uh, you see, I think the issue... Calculated gamble. The issue is that we've had a bit of a... I think I mentioned this last week. We've had a bit of a turnaround. In the days of yore, when it was Mercedes were fast, but very... Um, worrisome on their tyres has spun round now and Ferrari are faster but are a little bit more chewy on the tyres as well so I think they're actually trying to do a double cover the mistake they made was as you rightly say not letting Fettel go through but they've had so many issues with team orders and oddly well, there's, no, there's no rules about team orders well, now they could have said Fettel uh, Fettel's quicker than you Kimmy it's, it's the politics really and, and they, they seem to want to avoid doing it which is you is know, it just the metrics then just how it looks because there's, there's nothing there's no rules against team orders well, anymore it's absolutely fine and it's it's, it's something they should have done. It, it, they had every chance. There's no problem doing it with it. No one would complain about that one. On di- it was obvious they were on different strategies. But mm-hmm. I'm also not massively sure how much Fettel was held up. Fettel was not, once in race trim, Fettel did not have speed to spare and keep the tyres in place. And don't forget that he was not going to stop again. You know, Raikkonen, not so sure either way. But, yeah, he might have tried to eke it out. He'd been very lucky. Or he might have gone for a very fast, you know, on a pure dry race, a very fast run on Ultrasoft. So I think, you know... It, it, I have yet to find a, a teammate behind his a driver behind his teammate who's not claiming he's a second lap faster. And don't forget, the first thing he, he would have gone past, and he, instantly he would have gone two seconds ahead because that's what you do. Because there's no point being close in two seconds, especially if you're trying to run a long run, because you're just going to cook your tyres. And as you said, Bottas wasn't exactly lighting the, the timing tees up either. Um, and so yeah, so and then we came into the the situation where we we're hanging on for, for the, the rain or not the rain, and of course Lewis. I suppose it lacked in, or they worked out the rain wasn't be too hard, which was, you know... I'm not well, again, that's a calculated gamble. At that point, he was up to, I think, fourth or fifth? Yeah, fifth. 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 So he was in fifth. So he comes in there, um, there was quite a big gap behind him. Hmm. So yeah. he wasn't going to lose anything if he had to stop twice. Yeah, it's exactly the same reason as a few laps later when Verstappen came in, went on to Inter and went back off him again. Because he was going to come fifth anyway, it didn't matter. In what world <laughs> did anybody think grooved tyres of any description, never mind who was it who put full wets on? Did you see after the race? An hour after the race, it was spat, spat, and then the heavens opened, and, he, and they got, you know, a deluge which would actually cause the race to be stopped. It's raining so hard. But, yeah, I mean, it's no, I hadn't, you, know, you see the t- teams down the, the grid taking the risk. Why not? Not a problem at all. They stick it to the clerk, stick it to the Lonzo, try, just try it for a couple of laps because you're not losing anything or, or a point. Um, and I think pretty much Verstappen thought, we're not going to lose anything either. We're fifth, whatever yeah. happens. Yeah, I can change twice and come back again. Um, so I think which he did, of course. And Lewis ended up on the right tyres. He was in fourth. He was actually doing pretty well. And well, he was taking time out the leaders at that point. Yeah, he was closing in. He, he went down from, again, about over 20 seconds to about 12 or 14 seconds behind the leader. Yeah, I mean, it would have been interesting. What, yeah, without the rain, without the safety car, he probably would have got Raikkonen because Raikkonen would have had awful tyres. And it's, just, and it's then whether Mercedes would let them battle. And so he would have got to third. But then, of course, you know, Fettel had his centre moment and uh, lobbed it off for no discernible reason. And, and in... You know, I thought echoing of the time I fell off my motorbike at Snetterton. Um, in, I, in what respect would that be? Well, many, many years ago, I went to Snetterton on a track day and I invited my friends along. And this is so long ago, it was one of the first times anyone ever had a video camera. So, you know, those old two-part video cameras. And they were filming me. And it, it, was, a bit, it was raining. I'm a, I'm a rainmeister, me, in my oh, was a rare time, a Japanese bike on a Suzuki. And I fell off going into the hairpin, uh, the, the, the chicane. And... Um, this is a street bike. This is a street bike. Fell off in the chicane, and I thought, oh, when you look at it, you can see that I've gone over a river. The only problem is, when you watch it on video, 
it looks like it's slowed down to one quarter speed. And it effectively looks like I could actually have got off, put the bike on its stand and still not fallen off it. And it's so slow and so embarrassingly... I mean, obviously, I was probably doing 30 miles an hour, I feel, or perhaps 35, but it just looks so slow from the video. And it's the same with, with Fettel. Fettel's going around the corner... Then he's not. And then he's in the, in the wall. And they go, oh, he's locked up. And I'm thinking, mm, I'm not quite sure. I think he just got on the wrong part of the track. And then... Well, his, his fronts weren't locked up, but his backs were. There was something a bit odd going on. It, I'm, you know, I'm no, by no means making excuses for him. It was right in front of the Dutch supporters who loved it and <laughs> cheered it to high heaven. He was clearly very upset by it. That was a tricky part of the track at that point, no well, doubt about it. And well, you saw plenty of people had, had, had gone wide there before. Well, the thing that surprised me, I, you always forget when you go to these non-tilker tracks, how thin bits them in. That is a very thin bit of tarmac with a, with a runoff of, what, 25 metres of, of gravel. That's it. So he chose the wrong place to go off and obviously the wrong time. And he, he didn't, it seemed very strange that he didn't try and steer away from it. So, Well, he did, but... It didn't seem... I saw him turn the wheel, but I didn't see the front wheels turn. So, again, you know, did something break? I don't know. We've not heard anything. The turning point of the race was a turning point of the race. Uh, In fact, it was Lewis in his turning point. And where was the point at which he turned out of the pit lane? Um, (laughs) Now, for me... That's a stone-cold penalty, but I'm, I think about things well, like Timo Bernard getting, getting a penalty at, uh, at Mexico for doing exactly that, coming into the pit lane in the Porsche and then changing his mind and popping out and getting a drive-through. Um, it wouldn't have been the worst thing if he'd driven straight through because it was full-course yellow, it wasn't a full safety car. It would have been the same thing, um, 80Ks. However, let no one say that that was the team's choice, that was Lewis's choice. I've listened to the radio over and over again and they say to him, first of all, they say, do whatever Kimmy doesn't, right? No, do whatever Kimmy does. Do whatever Kimmy does is what they say. And then they say, um, right, Kimmy's coming in, Kimmy's coming in, right, box, 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 box. And as he's in there, it's Lewis that says, Kimmy, stay now, Kimmy, stay out. And they're going, in, 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 in. Oh, all right, stay out. <laughs> so th- I reckon that was Lewis's choice, yeah. that he knew that if Kimmy stayed out, he had him because he had better tyres. As it was, Kimmy knew he couldn't fight on those tyres. And they came in. I, I, I kind of, at that point, think Ferrari had sort of given up <laughs> at, at that point. But afterwards, let's skip to the end, and then we can come back. Afterwards, the stewards said that he had broken a rule, but gave him a reprimand. Now that, it, and they mentioned that being under full course yellow um, rather than being under green flag. So what's your take on that? The, well, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, yeah, it was down. It was Lewis. There was a lot of confusion and he decided to abort him. Would him the race? Yeah. I don't think he knew it was going to be most of the time. He just decided, because what he didn't know was it would have been, a, a, he would have been stuck behind Valtteri for hours or waved through. And he was waved through. We had exactly the same effect. If he'd, if he'd trundled through the pit lane, being waved through, he'd still emerged in first half of the safety cars. Yes, correct. Um, right. So basically what he did is something you're not allowed to do. And therefore, he was hauled up in front of the stewards far too late, should have been investigated during the race, mm-hmm. or at least they should have known it was going to be investigated during the race. Uh, for two it didn't even come up on the timing screen or, the, or no, anything to say it was being, you know, un, unexpected yeah. pit lane and thingy. What about that is, if you get it investigated during the race, then you're warned you might need to go, and go a little bit quicker and put more gap between yourself. But anyway, but the thing about it is, and this is, you know, this constant oh, witteration on, the, uh, on Facebook and on the internet and everything else, is... 
Oh, Lewis has not been punished. Lewis has been punished. Lewis has received a reprimand. The reprimand is obviously the lowest form of punishment, but still a punishment. You get three of those in a season, you get a 10-place grid penalty. It's not okay. a slap on the wrist. It is a, a methodology saying you've done something wrong. It's not serious enough in our eyes to be instantly actionable. It's like basically a suspended sentence. Uh, suspended, suspended penalty. And obviously a 10-place penalty will probably cost him a lot more points than the five seconds we've made him second. The point about this is, people go, oh, and so-and-so in this race, and so-and-so in this race. Now, the, 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 you can't turn around and ask for consistency from FIA stewards because you've not had it. I mean, you know, the, 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 the penalties they get, you know, the, the, when, when Seb, it, it, you know, it's, you know, displayed the world's worst road rage in Baku last year. He got a 10-second stop and go. Mm. So I think it was exactly the same as someone got for, you know, a very minor offence about a race later. Because And a lot less than um, changing the tyres on the grid with, yes, within exactly. the one minute. That was actually, you're right, absolutely. That was, that three, that was completely right. There was a Lance Stroll or something in Belonco. Got a bigger penalty for doing changing the tyres after the three-minute warning than Seb got for road rage when he should have been kicked out. So, they, yeah, there's always differences and, and pluses and minus. The fact is that people say, oh, well, in 2016, in the European Grand Prix at Baku, I think you'll find that Kimi Raikkonen uh, did exactly the same thing and got a five-second penalty. Yeah. In Baku, the race was green, he re-emerged onto the fastest piece of tarmac in F1, and they had been told specifically in the driver's briefing not to do it. That's five seconds. So you then go, okay, that's a five-second penalty for doing that. Told not to do it. Aborted into this fastest part of the track during green. So we now go, someone's done the same sort of thing, um, not onto a straight on a corner, which makes it safer, on yellow, and with no one around, and when no one had mentioned anything about one way or the other. So is that the same, or is that less? And the point about it is, if you are a Ferrari fan, or if you're one of the people who don't like Lewis, you obviously want to see him hung, drawn, quartered, thrown out of the race, possibly taken to, to you know, that island... Papine. 50 points taken off him. Yeah, and that island Papine was, or Papine one was, and, and asked for to take three years to escape. If you're a Lewis fan, you know, you think, oh my gosh, you can't lose the greatest victory he's ever had, da da The fact is, he was punished. He had a punishment, they admitted it, and you kind of go, you can argue to your blue in the face whether it's um, right or wrong, but you can't unfortunately in F1. And this is equally frustrating for me. You can't use precedent because it doesn't exactly. exist. There's very few things which are always the same. And even they can get prioritized as well. Like if you wear your plank out, you get disqualified. If you're underweight, you get disqualified. You know, but there's, there's even situations where some people have become world champion when they shouldn't do because it was expedient not to. And, and everyone only wonder, just... Kimi Raikkonen fans, you really need to look at what happened in Brazil in 2007 and with the Williams fuel samples, which Max Mosley would not disqualify Williams because it would change the world champion. But in fact, actually, Lewis should have won the world championship in 2007 if you applied the rules as you all want to apply the rules now. Because the fact is that human beings do it that's not done by computer. And there will always be things you don't agree with because you're a fan of A, B, C or D or think is great because you're a fan of A, B, C or D. The fact that that wasn't shown on live television and only on replay, does that have any bearing on it, that the stewards might not have seen it straight away? No, they got more views than anyone else. They, I think they, you know, they basically thought, well, he's just done that during the safety car, and then they've gone, fine, don't really care. But I think they, they generally thought, it's not really an issue, it's not dangerous, no one's, no one's there, it's not a problem, we, haven't, we didn't know or mentioned it. Interestingly, there's more in the rules, and I have looked at it, 
about coming into the pit lane late beyond the commit cone than there is about falling out of the the pit lane. Anyway, let's put that to one side. I don't disagree with um, what you've you've said there. I just want more consistency. And I think until we get a set of stewards that are the same set of stewards for every race, um, instead of swapping and changing and have people from the local well, ASNs yeah, in. I think asking stewards to do 21 races when it's pretty much semi-volunteer, I know they get paid, but it's not that none of the professionals, you, you probably need to have a much smaller pool. But it's, it, you know, I think, the, yeah, we probably go through penalties every time there's an interesting penalty really and we go is that fair is that not fair I mean I personally I thought it was fine right what it doesn't take away from that that's the first time that Lewis has run won a race having started outside the top six it was a great race uh, Ferrari either uh, were uh, tactically naive or had Mercedes script I can't decide which one it was Mercedes were either tactically brilliant or looked in you again depending on which side of the fence you will decide that one but what it's done is it has reignited the championship no points nul point for uh, Sebastian and top points for Lewis he's got the championship lead um, other people who came out of it looking kind of okay I think Rankin sort of looked alright um, he's obviously well, he, fighting for his life yeah he's backfired his driving and after we all wrote him off because um, of Charles Leclerc it is I obviously who I've really uh, I've been reading a lot about him I watched a couple of interviews that he did he was collared by on the US and UK coverage by Martin Brundle on the grid and he was very respectful took his sunglasses off very Good. I, I've I've kind of become a bit of a Leclerc fan, if I'm honest. Yeah, he's doing all the right things. So possibly Kimi stay at Ferrari. That leaves um, a couple of people with question marks about where they're going to go. Uh, still, we don't know about Danny Ricciardo, about where he's going to go. People are talking. People are talking about McLaren. But what I've heard about McLaren is that Carlos Sainz is going to McLaren to join Fernando well, Alonso. The thing about McLaren is apparently they have cooled down Lando now. They want to give him another year. Um, he's been all right in Formula 2 but it's not been the stellar crowning of a new champion we, that was expected and obviously George Russell's now at, is besting him so they're probably thinking a two year stay in uh, GB2 is fine it's only 18 it's not, you know, it's not like a terrible failure um, which would mean you know, and then obviously Stoffel Vandal's having a nightmare um, they probably aren't going to keep Stoffel you, you know, Alonso seems to get more disaffected as the days go on so what's he going to do probably a joint Wecken Indy programme um, apparently- well, don't forget, he can't do all the races next year. If he's going to do, if he's going for the WEC World Championship, as it stands right now, Australia, having been moved, now clashes with Sebring. Yeah, I mean, it's, that kind of works quite well for McLaren because they can give Lando a quick tryout and give him a race and then mm. give him another year of GP2. And, and it's, 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 you know, but I don't think, think Alonso is going to be in F1 next year. Unless oh, really? Who knows? And what about, what about Sainzi going to, uh, going to McLaren? It's possible, but you know, it's, it's it's all going about you know where does he actually these contracts lie? What's going to happen? It's pretty obvious that that Renault seem to have fallen out of love with him very quickly, um, and have effectively said they want Esteban Ocon because um, he's French, and Force India are quite pleased because they'll get a bit of cash for that, and they're very cash strapped. Um, it looks like they're going to pick up Lance Stroll, which is good, good news for Force India again. Um, there's even a rumour that Mr. Stroll, Daddy Stroll, might buy Force India, um, which. Which is good for money, not how good for profile. But can I just go back a couple of programmes when we were talking about Williams and their wars? And, you know, I said then, how long is Mr Stroll going to want to keep um, putting money in when the car is woeful? Um, they've changed their design philosophy. Rob Smedley on the grid at the weekend, who's um, 
one of the engineers there, one of the chief engineers there, um, saying that they think they're going in the right direction, but they still don't really know. But this year's car's been a write-off. And you just, I just don't get any... And it, it, this gives me no pleasure to say this. We've talked about this before, because I like Williams as a team. I don't get any kind of feeling of, aha, we've turned the corner, <laughs> um, literally, as well as metaphorically. I don't get any excitement. I don't get any kind of, oh, my goodness, uh, our new philosophy is fantastic, because they've got to be working on next year's car. They've got to be working on next year's car already. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the issue really there is that they got horribly lost. They're trying to find what it is, and, and, and yeah, they'd be careful about working in next year's car. They've solved out what the problems in this year's car because you can easily carry them over. Um, no, I think I think there's rumours now that they might end up just being Mercedes's B team, you know. So, which perhaps is a, that's the best they can hope for. You know, perhaps the new the new order. That's it. But yeah, it's been a disaster, and and, and it's they've not helped themselves from day one. But they've also they've been unlucky to fall into a technical malaise they couldn't solve. They apparently have got a sort of on top of it now, and in, in that things drivable at last. And in fairness, Rock came without the rain might have actually scored some points, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, it's too. Yeah, they they can scrape around for a few extra points and perhaps not finish dead last. But that's their their, their highest ambition is perhaps come ninth in the constructors. But yeah, you know, with Lance's money going, um, Martini money going, as we said, and and going back to that point, they are in. In, in terms of team finance, they are in real problems for next year. Yeah, perhaps become a new Minardi. They just pick up a couple of you know, paid drivers from South America every year. Um, I don't know. It's it's Please. it's. It's a disappointing for us, but, you know, this is what happens. No, no one has, a, as McLaren have shown, no one has a right to be on the podium. You have to keep on doing the work, keep on investing the money and keep on doing the right things. And I think you could probably quite easily sketch where uh, Williams lost the plot. Where else, uh, what else was came out of the weekend then? Uh, who do you think did particularly well, did particularly badly? I thought Kevin, in fact, I thought both of the Hasses were having a, a decent run for a while, but then their... The safety car came at the wrong time for them and they dropped out because he looked like a solid top yeah, ten. Grosjean got back up to six. I mean, there were a number of kind of, you know, relatively interesting performances. But I think, you know, you kind of can't particularly look past the top, well, the, the winner and the person who was winning it. So mm. it's, a, it's a major switch. Now, the, the reason it's a major switch, because even as we expect, Ferrari to better than McLaren next week in Hungary, we, you know, it still means that, that Lewis will go into the, should do, go into the winter break, summer break, sorry, with, with a few points of lead, not a, not a massive amount, you know, four or five. Um, and that's obviously psychological advantage. But, you know, Ferrari have got, an, it seems to have a car advantage, certainly in qualifying, and therefore, you know, there's some work for Mercedes to do while the factory's shut. I don't know how they're going to do that. Because obviously none of them do anything ever. They don't, they're not, you know, you're not even allowed to think about it. Apparently, as soon as you start thinking about it, you have to read a book. Talking to me earlier this week uh, about the Formula One at the Hockenheim Ring. Did you see that? Uh, Tim, did you see any of that? I did see that. Yes. Uh, do you agree with with Nick? Nick's, Nick's not here to defend himself, so you can say what you feel. I mostly agree with Nick. Yes. <laughs> mostly. Uh, there are aspects of it that I don't agree with him. Right. Uh, one of which uh, I won't talk about yet because uh, okay. we have a little bit more of Nick later, okay. and uh, uh, I'll disagree with that bit after. Uh, we've heard that bit, uh, but I'd like to talk about uh, what he was saying about consistency mm. in Stewart's decisions, mm. uh, and this relates to the uh, 
races on Sunday morning, or race on Sunday morning, of the Porsche Mobiline Super Cup. Right. Uh, because I thought the stewards were incredibly consistent in that race. Right. By managing to not punish any of the drivers who consistently uh, <laughs> breached the track limits uh, going into the last corner before the uh, start-finish line. Every single lap, pretty much every car had four wheels off the track there, and not one of them was punished. It is a circuit that you, particularly at Turn 1 uh, and into the stadium set, well, actually where... Uh, Vettel went off. If he'd got a bit further round, he'd have been on tarmac. Um, and a number if of people made up positions there. any other circuit there. in the world, he'd have been on tarmac. Somebody else said that, actually, and, and said it in a way that that uh, was... I'm kind, I kind of like that, that he made a mistake. It wasn't a huge mistake, but it had consequences. All right, it, he didn't get hurt because it wasn't a super quick corner, but... Uh, he made a mistake, he went off, and he lost the race. And shouldn't that be what it's like? Unlike, say, somewhere like Spa, which everybody lords. A lot of people don't like Hockenheim Ring, particularly the Hockenheim Ring that we race on now. They, they rave on about the old circuit. The old and circuit was great in one uh, guise, and that was when you were playing it on Jeff Crammon's uh, <laughs> Grand Prix 2 computer game. Because it was a fantastic dra- uh, game, uh, fantastic circuit to drive there, but it didn't produce a good Formula One race ever. No, but I mean, a lot of people rave on about the old circuit, they rave on about Spa, but the truth is about Spa is you can go off far enough to have to show your pass to get back on again before you hit anything. Yeah, so, well, in most places. Yeah. Now, and, and listen, so, before certainly anybody... the first half of the circuit, the second half, the barriers on both sides are quite tight. closer, yes. Um, now, and before anybody says we don't care about safety, of course we care about safety. A few years ago, when talking about VIR, Jim Roller coined a phrase which I have used many, many times since. It was genius. He says, he said... Because of the fact that all the runoffs there are grass, he said there were consequences without calamity, and mm. I really liked that. I bring thought that was grass. Hmm? bring back grass, except of course Jonathan Palmer, not our Jonathan Palmer, Doctor Jonathan. Pa- well, you know, probably our Jonathan Palmer as well would say bring back grass, but uh, Doctor Jonathan it's Palmer a bring d- back grass because he's grass, uh, grass. He speaks like that. Uh, our Jonathan Palmer would say bring back grass. Um, uh, Dr Jonathan Palmer would say he doesn't like grass because people run onto it and make it look untidy if they wear it away he especially likes grass he just doesn't like cars putting Running wheels on it, it. Um, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport this is series 13 uh, episode is this 28? this is episode 28 can right. I mention uh, go back to what we started talking about with Sebastian Vettel yes what uh, about Sebastian Vettel hadn't happened, or not specifically Fettel, but what was credited to Sebastian Fettel at the weekend that hasn't be- happened for 13 years? Um, a Ferrari falling off while it was in the lead? Anyone falling off while they were in the lead. Wow, so I was close. Yes. Right, very good. Uh, the last time it happened was uh, Fernando Alonso at the Canadian Grand Prix in 2005. In terms of actually falling off rather than have a mechanical problem? Correct, yes. Right. If you look at mechanicals, then... Uh, Lewis? 
Lewis and... Did uh, Lewis not go off in the pit lane at Malaysia? Wasn't leading at the time. Uh, okay, right, okay, right, okay. Um, Lewis has had some failures while he's been leading as well. Yes, yes. Um, that, there, that was, there have been a couple. Um, yeah. So who was the last one, sorry? Did you Fernando say? Alonso in 2005 in Canada. Remember, he hit the Wall of Champions. He'd be delighted to fall off while he was in the lead at the moment, wouldn't he? Yes. <laughs> uh, before that, um, it had happened quite a lot recently. Um, Mark Webber at Indianapolis in 2003. Really? Yeah. Um, and... Uh, it happened to Nigel Mansell in '84, of course, at Monaco. Didn't Nigel Mansell? Um, how do you how do you categorise Nigel Mansell at Montreal uh, when he hit the wrong button and gave up the lead? Uh, mm, can't even remember what year that was, though. So it may it may have counted. Um, Mika Hakkinen uh, at Monza in 1999, of course, but that uh, was mechanical, I think, wasn't it? Yes, possibly. That, that, well, I mean, obviously, from McLaren's point of view, it wasn't mechanical. So there was absolutely nothing wrong with that engine. Uh, I think it might have been an electrical problem. That uh, Yes, yes, it was electrical. It was a piston that popped out and took the alternator out. That's how electrical <laughs> it was. <laughs> the wiring loom, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so if you can think of any other uh, occasions, then... Uh, That's spectatorment. Indeed. Uh, now, uh, as I mentioned, Nick Damon, uh, we did talk to him about some other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, there's another Grand Prix this weekend. Is there? Yes. Where? Uh, this time we're going to Hungary. And uh, you spoke to... Nick obviously earlier in the week and you asked him whether it would favour Ferrari or Mercedes. Theoretically it's even more of a Red Bull track but um, you know there's no track where you don't need power and you kind of... Well I should say I mean a disappointment for Red Bull because Danny Danny Rick had a brand new uh, engine and lots of new components started at the back uh, came through all right he was on the wrong tyre to start with no doubt but that might have worked later on until it went pop again which doesn't I mean that just gives Christian Horner more chance to mourn about his engines well it doesn't matter now because he's got a Honda isn't he so they can go pop with Honda and they're going pop with Renault so uh, yeah I mean, it, was, it was a bit of a disastrous race again it's been a rather poor run for Danny since he uh, won his second race and uh, He'll be, he'll be he's fine he'll be signing a lovely fat contract at Red Bull in the next few days do I uh, detect young Mr Verstappen just winding his neck in a little bit because there was a couple of overtakes there that I thought oh here he comes this is the big oh no he's backed out which I, I, you know I've said before I, I've never had any problem with the way he attacks I have much more of a problem with how he defends but it seems as though he's either had a talking to or maybe he's got a different role within the team maybe he's looking to be a team leader well, yeah I mean I think also you know it's, it is maturity it's a bit of experience it's um, perhaps when you're 
as they are at the moment, not challenging for the, the World Championship, and therefore you're looking to be opportunist, you can be more reflective even during the race, and therefore you go perhaps, you know, they start the season, oh, we're going to win, I've got to prove everything, and that's all gone wrong, and now in the middle of the season, he knows where they are, which is, you know, on everything apart from a twisty, turny track, they are going to finish fifth and sixth, unless they have a bit of luck. So Twisty, turny track next time out, though, it's but it's, it's more twisty, turny than a twisty, turny thing uh, on a twisty, turny day. Um, Danny Rick must be getting a bit bored now, though, because it's been an awful season for him, and he's had the bulk of the of the reliability issues. He is being pressed time and time again about what decision he's going to make. He's called it one of the biggest decisions of his career, but it doesn't sound to me as though it's made. But where's he going to go? There's no decision. Do you want to win races? Do you want to win races, Danny? Yes. Well, you need to resign a Red Bull because there's no sign that anybody else is going to be in a position to beat them. You know, there's, it, yeah, we're having a, a micro change of regulations um, coming up uh, next year, which might change the order of Mercedes and Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got a massive change in 2021. So all you want to be in this yeah. situation, well, no, we've had another bit of news about that, haven't we? Um, you know, and, and it is a massive change for 2021 now, actually, as, as F1 moves into the, tw- into the 21st century, just 20 years too late. <laughs> is this the wheels and tyres? Yeah, going 18 inch wheels. This is the thing that Michelin wanted, and, yeah, and they, they, backed, yeah, they, they backed out of, of, of bidding for the tyre contract because they couldn't have it. Well, unfortunately, they've got a bit of a problem with this one because the tyre contract, which is, I think, 2021 22, goes over one year of fat tyres and then two years of thin tyres. Of low profile tyres. So if they wanted to bid, to bid on this against Pirelli, they'd have to design a complete set of tyres for one year, um, which I think is probably not going to happen. So it looks like we'll get back with Pirelli again for three more years, which, you know, if they're working to a different brief, who knows? It might produce something that's different. But yeah. Well, fundamentally going to change the cars, though, mm-hmm. because at the moment, uh, for a very, very long time, in fact, for as long as you and I have been watching Formula One, pretty much, um, Suspension engineers have really not had to do very much. Oh, that's not that's not fair. I mean, they, they you know the fact is that you had a huge you had a huge unsprung environment, which is the sidewalls of the tyres. But most of that most of that kind of ride was done with the sidewalls. So they're going to have to work it out what they're going to do. They're, 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 the suspension engineers will have to do some work. The only thing is, it's not like people don't know what to do because they've been running those sort of wheels on sports cars for ever. 15 years 20 years a long long time yeah so it's not like it's like oh what do we do you know exactly what to do you just you know need to work out how you do it with all your clever balancing hydraulics and everything else but um at least they look a bit better and you know the, the, it will make it different it should make them less liable to puncture because you've got less sidewall to get cut um that's a good point but you don't know i mean but it should be okay but again it, 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 aesthetically, they actually start looking more like road cars. I mean, one thing it will do is it will free up. The, they'll be able to get much, much bigger brakes because they've been constrained by the inside of the wheels. So they're going to do an awful lot more with the brakes now. So it'll be interesting to see how they work on that. Because you know what I think they should do if they're going to do that? I should, they should go back to steel brakes and make the braking distances longer because you can have bigger brakes so you can still slow them down, sadly, but you should get rid of... Sadly, sadly, modern steel brakes can break as well as carbon fibre brakes when they're in... Um, you know, reasonable condition, and if you only have to run them for 200 miles, and you've now got much bigger discs, they'd be fine the whole way through. You know, you're not going to suddenly go an extra 50 yards. It might be another two. <laughs> I'm sorry about technology, John. But that's what happens. Nick Damon talking to us earlier in the week. Yes, he's away tonight, but he'll be back next week. Uh, one other thing before we leave the German Grand Prix, mm-hmm. uh, which is that that is the third consecutive race 
where the winner of the previous race has failed to score any points. Yes, I, I read that somewhere. That's an amazing stat, that, uh, which, which means Lewis doesn't score next time out then. It does, but that might be a good omen because the winner of the Hungarian Grand Prix has never gone on to win the championship. Ah, really? Let's move on to two wheels. Yes, we should have had Nick for this, actually. Had we but known that this was going to break... What do it, you mean, had we but known? Practice your international not-surprised face, John, because there this it is, is a story that we've known about and everyone's known about I was for, being sarcastic. for a very long time. I was being sarcastic, Tim. When I said, had we but known. Kawasaki has officially announced that Leon Hazen <laughs> will be teammate to reigning world champion Johnny Ray for the 2019 season. Mm. Look, look at my face. What is that, Tim? That is your international not surprised face. My international two-wheeled not surprised face. Um, it all went, it's been going horribly wrong, hasn't it, for the uh, Tom Sykes and... Johnny Ray partnership for quite some time, um, including when they got together, what, two or three races ago now. And uh, Gwim Vroder, who's the KRT team manager, has said, it's understandably tough to replace a rider of Tom's quality and the final decision to sign Leon for 2019 was made after considering many factors, some obvious and others to answer internal team factors. Leon Haslam, uh, if you don't know, is currently leading the British Superbike Championship by a massive 80 points. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he didn't, uh, he got two podiums at the weekend at Brands Hatch. He didn't. mm, I'm going uh, with podiums, as in podium apostrophe to replace the word finish. S. Ah, right, I didn't realise that. Uh, <laughs> pedant. I am a pedant. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't matter. He's on 242 points uh, compared to uh, Jake Dixon, who's next on 162, then Glenn Irwin on 145, and then in fourth place, uh, Josh Brooks on 130 points, and Josh Brooks uh, got his first win of the season uh, in the first race on Sunday, followed up with his second win of the season uh, in the second race, and he can be added to the list of people who've won a race with facial hair. Ah, really? Uh, because he has the most ridiculous uh, moustache that is half Dick Dastardly <laughs> uh, and half, I'm not entirely sure what, Lord Lucan maybe. Well, we know what happened to him. Disappeared without trace. Uh, indeed, Josh Brooks isn't going to disappear without trace because uh, chances are uh, that he's already got enough points uh, to get himself into the I race for the chase for the cup for the thing. I have a question. Yes. For the collective, I need collective wisdom on this. When was the last time a reigning British superbike champion, as surely Leon Haslam will be by the end of the season, jumped across into world superbikes? I think I can answer that. Right, go on. I think it was uh, a certain Japanese driver, rider who rider, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, who may have done that about five years ago. Really? Yes. Um, it may have been longer than that. I kind of lose track of time. Uh, guess who else was at uh, Brands Hatch at the weekend? I uh, don't know. 
Shaky Burn. Oh, yes. No, no, we, we talked about this last week. We said he was going to be there, but he's not riding again yet, is he? Indeed. He couldn't get his helmet on <laughs> due to uh, the uh, halo brace that he's wearing around his head and neck. Yes. Do you, did you mean Raichi Kiyonara, by the way? That's right. Right. Or did you mean Noriyuki Hage? No, because Noriyuki Hage never won the British Championship, did he? Uh, he raced in 2012. He was awful in 2012. It must have been Kayanari then. If you know, tweet at Specutainment, please. And even as we're doing this, of course, um, we have got our British Superbike correspondent shouting at the radio at the moment. Probably. Mm. Or, or, or the podcast. I apologise. I apologise to her. Um... So I think Kianari, when he won it in 2010, then went to World Superbikes in 2011. Okay, I'll, I'll buy that I'm for a dollar. Just going to uh, check that. Just checking that. that. Okay, no, no, uh, that's pretty good. Ah, no, he didn't. Ah, uh, 2010, 2010. No, he stayed, but he did win it in 2007. Did mm-hmm. he? Who won uh, British Superbikes in 2007? No, sorry, you're, you're beyond my ken at that point. Collective, we're throwing yourself ourselves on your mercy. 2007 he won it, and then 2008 he went to World Superbikes. Oh, that, did he? That is, that is my final answer. Right, so... I knew it had happened, so it just was a little longer ago than Yeah, yeah, okay. No, no, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Well done, Tim. Well, fa- well, well Googled. Uh, well interneted. Only to confirm my... Uh, Original suspicion, so uh, let's move on to okay. this. Midweek motorsport, and don't you dare switch off now because the next hour is gonna be even better. Ooh, that's a new one, I like that a lot. Still to come in the second hour of this week's Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode 29, here on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. We'll be waking up Richard Creel. Have him talk about some Australian GT news. We've talked about that before on this programme. Well, there's a bit of an update coming up in the second hour. Shea Adam is back in Fort Lauderdale in the land of proper internet. And she'll be talking to us. There's a bit more of Nick as well as we talk Preventic and 24-hour series racing. And uh, more of your tweets too. At Specutainment, please. Uh, you know more about motorsport than we do, so please let us have the benefit of your collective wisdom. All still to come in the second hour of Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. And just to prove we're still live, 91 for 3. <laughs> very, very good. Um, would you like a guest or would you like a bit more Nick? It's up to you. We'll go Nick next. Do you think so? Yes, right, we'll have some. We've got so much of him pre recorded. That we'll, we'll whip him in, shall we? Yes. Shall we whip him in? Sports car news now then. And Kravendik, the organisers behind the Hankook 24-hour series, the FIA National Endurance Series, have announced a rule change for one of their major events in 2019. So when I was with Nick early in the week, I asked our doyen of the Kravendik Gridwalk what it was all about. Well, it's Dubai. Now, the Dubai 24 Hour is, is established as the, the linchpin the first couple of weeks of the year. Um, obviously, playing a little bit second fiddle at Daytona 24 Hour, but not in entries, but in... Uh, it gets in first, though. It's getting bigger every year. Uh, and there's already 
who entered to 100 for that anyway of all, all types of cars. Prior to that, um, the last two or three years, Corentic have been working hard to get a prototype series up and running um, with P3 sort of the starring role, but you can still run old P2s and you can certainly run CN cars. Yeah. Uh, and you can even run radicals, you know, Corentic like, or for anything yeah. that's a sports car looking car in there. Um, but yeah, you know, If you bring it, we'll find a class for it. But if we're really honest about it, the numbers haven't been great. Um, they've done two three-hour runs, two three-by-three-hour races in Dubai, so three separate three races, one on, the, one on the afternoon of day one and then a morning and afternoon race day two. And they've had, I think they had 12, 11 or 12, and the previous year they had nine or ten cars, a lot of them the sport from Ginetta, actually. Um, and then we've, they've, they've been trying to get a series off the ground as well. And, you know, they've had a few entries, but they've never really had enough to, to, to really get a, a big meeting going. And what we should say is, the foray into sports prototypes, into prototype cars, was at the behest of their customers. Oh, we really love what you're doing with GTs and touring cars. If only you did it for prototypes as well, we'd bring our car along. Unfortunately, quite a few people who said that <laughs> then didn't bring their cars along. And as you say, um, without the um, support and commitment that uh, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Tomlinson and Janetta have brought, uh, brought into it, they it would have been worse off. However... However... Also, just going to say, well, I can just say that the three by three hour race I had last at the beginning of this year were brilliant. All three of them. I mean, it is true. You only need two cars to make a race, and they had three cars, actually four at one point. Mm. Uh, so they were great. Anyway, the point about it is, what they were looking to do was try and make it a more of an event uh, for the Dubai weekend, and they decided to take on a very important advisor. Um, a man with years of experience of races lasting no more than 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and that's Joe Bradley. And um, <laughs> Joe had a chat with uh, Ola and I think it was Gary. I'm not sure. I, I can't remember if it was Gary or Inga, but, Inga, but it was Gary, I think. And he said, look, what you need to do is rather than having these three by three hours, how about having a single six hour race on the Sunday? Because they race Saturday and Sunday mm-hmm. uh, for that. Uh, to make it a really focused event for the sports prototype thing, and also it was a week earlier, so you can get the cars back into you know into yeah. Europe as quickly as possible. Or, or the, although there are now, of course, quite a lot of cars out in the region, yeah. and just make it you know a much easier event to logistically run. You're there for two days, practice and quali- practice and qualifying day one, six hour race day two. If you want to stay longer, they are giving some um, you know uh, the, 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 the promoted testing day on the Friday as well, so you can get another six hours of running. Um, and they went. Oh. And there's nothing to stop you then, if you're a driver, particularly hanging out for a few days and Three grabbing days, you yeah. and grabbing yourself a ride in the 24. So yes, I mean, it, 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 in a marvelous piece of let's listen to somebody who's got a good idea, even they are called Joe Bradley. Uh, <laughs> um, Hello, Joe, who's in Ibiza at the moment celebrating his number one daughter's uh, wedding. My god daughter Shelley, congratulations to you. So they listened to Bradley, and they are now running as a single six-hour race, which I think is going to be absolutely stellar. And, I'm, and the reason I wanted to talk to you about it today is because obviously a lot of people listening to the show remarkably actually run cars, mm. um, and you know and. The, the the announcement, whilst it was announced on Twitter, you might have missed it. So I want to get we want to get a bit of publicity. Uh, Joe and myself, particularly, and Johnny as well, has been ten being there um, for the race because it sounds like it's, it's a brilliant idea, and I think it will really add to it. And you know, if you can get you know, you get to fifteen to twenty cars, but if you get to thirty, it'd be brilliant. And you do get your own garages, you get your own spaces, no sharing. You've got the whole pit lane to yourself. And, and and this coverage, I mean, all the three by three hour races have been covered in the past. We we go out there and send the team out, and it's covered on TV uh, as well. So that's going to be the week 
before. before. Yeah, I think it's fifth and sixth. I think it is. It's a, but it's a Sunday. They are racing on the Sunday, which is obviously a European weekend, but not a oh, right, okay. um, a local weekend. But they obviously have the uh, promoter test on the Friday, which is weekend, and then the, the practice and qualifying. So it is designed for the teams. It's not, they're not too worried about the audience. Unlike on the twenty four now, which they're getting. Thousands in at the start. I know, ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so if you want more details of that, that's a change of format for the 24-hour uh, Pro Tour Series event, which is now a single six-hour race on the Sunday, the weekend before the 24 hours of Dubai, the Hankook 24 hours of Dubai. Go to 24hseries.com or 24hprotour.com. There's links, cross-links between them. <laughs> and uh, Nick Damon really wants you to go because he really enjoyed having his holiday in Dubai. By last year. Well, the only thing is, you see, don't forget, I managed to do the entire grid both times in during my, my pit walk. So if we get above about 23, that'd be an issue. So basically, you can enter 24 cars and I'll still try and do it. Okay, there's, there's a promise from Nick Damon. Get your entries in now. So, Nick Damon earlier in the week. Yeah, so I, I, I think that's really quite interesting. Uh, it's just... Um, whether ever taking Joe Bradley's advice is a smart thing or not, I'm not sure. No. I would uh, disagree with one thing Nick said there about Joe Bradley never having uh, uh, any experience on a race uh, longer than 20 minutes. Some of those races did go as long as 27 or 28 minutes when there was a safety car. We were talking about when he was a team manager for the Chevrolet Yeah, so was I. Team. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode 28. Hello to Austin Hilliard Racing, live for once, and tuned in to the second hour. This is Thank You RSL. Thank you very much, Austin Hilliard Racing, for tuning in. The first hour, of course, and the second hour will be available on the archive. And well done to our production team for getting all of the podcasts from last weekend up so quickly. Uh, I've just heard from Richard Creel that he's up and about. He's still to come in this hour. But now we go to Fort Lauderdale live and say uh, good afternoon, as it will be, for Shea Adam. Hello, Shea. <laughs> What's it like to be in the land of warm showers, real internet, television and DVRs? Uh, a bit surreal. I'm still adapting to that bright, colourful thing that is uh, currently behind me that if I, I push the button and I speak into it, it'll put programming on that I ask for. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, for those that don't know, you have been away uh, from your abode for quite some time in the uh, in beautiful cottage country up at Muskoka on John, the lakes. Yes. Can we all try and activate uh, Shay's Alexa by saying things? Oh, really? <laughs> I don't have one of those. Uh, you have a different device. <laughs> no, no, it's just my, my Xfinity, the remote for Comcast. Ah. If you speak into it, it'll put up whatever program you ask for. Do you have to address it in a certain way? No, I have to push a button. Yeah, uh, it's, not, it's not half as much fun, is it? Yeah, it's not like asking Siri to beatbox, John. Yes. <laughs> hey Siri, will you beatbox for me? Uh, if you've got an iPhone, try that. That was a Gary Dodds thing from me uh, at not that I have an iPhone at Daytona at the Rolex Twenty Four this year, and um, we've been having fun with that ever since. Uh, just try it. Uh, Midweek Motorsport, Series 13, Episode 29. Uh, Shea Adam, first of all, we haven't got a lot of time, so I want to crack through this. First of all, two races in two day, well, actually two races on one day, two-day event, Lime Rock Park, 18 cars in, in the main race, a few more in the second race. Fabulous racing. You don't need lots of cars to have good racing. 
No, it's true. And one thing that we always acknowledge when we come to Lime Rock is that the race is won and lost in the pit lane because it's such a short track. And that's really what we saw play out Uh, in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship race, which was the second race on Saturday. It was the number 912 Porsche that looked to have the best position, but a faulty wheel gun on the pit stop on the right front tire cost them any shot at the race. They lost, what was it, 22, Mm. 23 seconds in the pits with that. Um, And for the Conti race, our championship leaders coming in had a huge kerfuffle when the 60 and the 59 both pitted together, both of the core cars. Now, they've been running one car for most of the season. They've, They've had the 59 at a few events as well. But they both came in. The 59 missed its pit box, pulled into the 60. The 60 had nowhere to go. It ultimately cost our championship leaders a shot at a fourth win on the season. But on the other side of things, we had our first Mercedes win because Hugh Plum and Owen Trinkler, masterful job. I hope Owen has stopped sweating by now. He was so nervous. Uh, I think he stopped he... celebrating yet because I've never said, look, he's, <laughs> he's not exactly an unhappy chap. He smiles a lot. Uh, he, he had a smile as wide as the whole city of Nashville, which is where he's from. I mean, that was... <laughs> Uh, he was due to come and talk about the, the WeatherTech race with us, and we let him off that because he he was just bouncing around like, uh, I, I don't know, he was bouncing around like Zebedee on speed. It was fantastic. Like the Energizer Bunny. Yes, well, there you go. Yeah, I think he hugged me three times after the race finished just because he had hugged all of his other crew members and didn't know what to do with <laughs> himself. Uh, it was it was a very fun realization, and now they're second in the championship. So it means that that TGM team really they're a force to reckon with. It's a close battle in the championship, though. The car that came in in the lead left in the lead, but they're only four points ahead of Hugh and Owen. And then there's Messrs. Clay and Cook right behind as well. So it's going to be a fight to the very end. Uh, I, I'm not sure about this, and. Uh, Fiona, the very clever lady at the head of Valero, might know the answer, Fiona James, on this. I think that might be the first major victory by a driver wearing Valero uh, temperature-controlling fireproof underwear, because I know Owen is one of their ambassadors in the US. I've been putting it through its paces this week whilst riding my motorcycle, by the way, and wearing it underneath my leathers. Um, Not because I think I'm going to burst into flames, although my (laughs) core temperature has been up there just because I like to have something between me and the leather and it works really, really well. Uh, Look look that up. Um, uh, Another great success story uh, in the main race for Winwood. Uh, Winwood Racing, uh, and this is a real rags-to-riches Cinderella story. Bryce um, Bryce Ward, uh, out of the race a couple of events ago at at um, uh, Watkins. Watkins Glen. Thank you. Um, I, had, I could see WGI. I couldn't remember what the W stood for. Uh, Watkins Glen. Westbrook, I think we came Westbrook, to. Yes, we- yes, Westbrook Glen International. Um, rebuilt the car, one of the cars they had earlier on in the season. Indy Donchi back with with Bryce. And a, a third place at uh, Canadian Tire. Second place for a charging team uh, there. I mean, they're on a crest of a wave at the moment. They really are. And uh, with the entry list coming out yesterday, we do know who will be sharing that windward car mm. with Bryce Ward. I'll save that for next week, though, because we can do more of a preview. When no, we're no, you, in can, Wisconsin. You, can, you, can, you can see it. It's Christian Hornardel, isn't it? 
It is. Mm. So uh, a real ace up the sleeve since Indy is unavailable for the next three rounds with uh, previous commitments. We're giving him I'm a bit of I'm very disappointed I didn't get the call. I know. We, we pushed it, for it, John. I know. We pushed for it. Um, there, there's always hope in the future. But no, it, it was a great performance by Winward again. And for that second place, uh, very well-executed passes by Indy who didn't know that you can't make passes at certain turns around Lime Rocks. So Round the outside at Big Ben, turn one, twice. Not once, but twice. Yeah. And I, I, I have to say as well, by the way, Russell Ward and Damien Faulkner did an excellent job as well. And, and uh, Damo did a couple of fantastic passes as well, but just didn't have the pace in the car. The, the big news... Yeah. In in that race, in the, the feature race, was the fall off of performance on the Wright Motorsports Porsche. Pat Long and Christina Nielsen looked to have had that race under control. And then in Pat's second stint, it went from bad to worse to worserer. And it's as simple as a bad set of tires. Mm. Uh, it happens every now and then. It's not anybody sabotaging. It's not anything like that. It just was bad luck. And that seems to be the story of that crew ever since the warm-up lap at Daytona. This has not been their season. They keep trying. They keep coming back. They will never give up. And at this point, there is no chance of a championship. They are 10th in the driver standings coming into Road America. But they can still go out and win races, and they can still be a disruptive force. So yes. that's what they'll be looking for. I think that um, I think you're right. I think, and I think they need to take some solace from the fact that the car was on the pace this weekend, and both Christina and Pat, Pat, you know, Pat will drive the wheels off anything. Christina, double champion, defending champion this year. As far as GTD championships concerned. The Lamborghini, Paul Miller Racing, Sellers and Snow. Now, with what can be, I think, considered a cushion of 10 points no, over the field. No, don't say that because there's 14 GTD cars going to be at Road America. And that is a huge point swing if anything goes wrong. So I'm, I'm not going to call it a cushion just yet. I'm going to call it a slight life vest. But it's not like it's buttoned up and sealed. It'll still come off very easily. Mm. Um, it's Catherine Legg, 14 points over Jerome Blake Mullen and Ben Keating. Again, that is a... They didn't a, have a great weekend. Again, there was no. a cha- championship challenger. They brought themselves into the championship challenge in the number 33 uh, AMG GT with the win a Canadian tyre. Never, I mean, Ben did a great start, uh, did his job, but for some reason, Jerome couldn't get the pace out of the car in the second half of the race. Yeah, I think he had used up all the pace at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park to get around the Lexus uh, two weeks before, so he's still recuperating. Um, but it was another really good race from Magnus. They're starting mm. to hit their stride in the second half of the season. Third at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, second at Lime Rock means that they're going to win at Road America, naturally, <laughs> uh, which would be great because John Potter has not won there before. But in terms of our championship st- sort of starting to, to shape itself out, We've got repeat wins from the 66 Ford Chip Ganassi crew and the 48 Paul Miller Racing crew. Five podiums so far this year for the three teams. So that's Garcia and Magnuson, the defending champions in GTLM. But they have not won a race since VIR last year. We've got five podiums for the championship leading number 66 crew of Hand and Mueller. If you include the 24 Hours of Le Mans, which I do because that's probably the hardest fought podium they'll get all year. 
And the 48 Paul Miller Racing Lamborghini has six podium in seven races. So really, we're starting to see the cream rising to the crop and a lot of really good uh, potential for the rest of the season starting to shape. Uh, it looked like Tonio Garcia and Jan Magnussen were going to get the 100th Corvette Racing win in North America exactly two years and at the same track as they got the 100th overall. Um, it didn't happen. A little bit of understeer from Mags at the end and through goes the Westbrook and Briscoe Ford to, I'm not going to say an unlikely win. They were there or, or thereabouts, but just two points now separating the top three in GTLM. Yeah, and um, we've got a 12-point swing available on any given weekend mm. because we have eight cars running in the championship full-time. That means that the winners get 35 points and eighth place gets 23 oh, points. Point. It's not going to be over until it's over. You've got Bamber and Vantor sitting back in fourth place. They are 11 points back to the lead. So all it would take is one little slip up from the 66, 67, and three cars, and all of a sudden you've got a Porsche leading the championship. Mm. It could be anyone's game on any given weekend, which makes the instance like a faulty pit gun feel even more valuable when you come to the end of the season and you think, we could have won this if it weren't for that. Thank you, Cher. And next week, Cher, are you with, oh, you with me by next week, Cher, at Road America? Uh, if American Airlines will allow it, I am supposed to land in Milwaukee at about 10.30, so I should be to the track somewhere around noon. That works for me. Cher Adam joining us live from uh, from uh, Fort Lauderdale this evening, and of course we'll be hosting the show from Road America next week. We'll have more on the entry list there. Check out imsa.com for all the details, and don't forget we'll be carrying the State of the Series announcement from Scott Atherton Friday evening, local time as well. You think the Midweek Motorsport Series 13 episode number 28. Lovely to have Shea on the show tonight. We've woken up our very own tame Australian and we can say g'day to Richard Creel. G'day John Hindoff. How are you mate? I'm very well Rich. I'm very well. Thanks for coming on again and uh, lots of things to go through. I've actually made a list here. Uh, we're going to start. <laughs> I'm serious. Um, we uh, will start with Australian GT, a subject that you and I have talked about on this program in the past. And uh, last time I think we talked uh, about the series. It was because Tony Quinn had wanted to get rid of it or come to a, uh, a, a an understanding with supercars and the. A motorsport governing body down in Australia, CAMS, had decided that that wasn't in the best interest. However, Tony has now divested himself uh, of Aussie GT. And the first things that we we should say before we get into any of the other ramifications is what a great job Tony Quinn has done with that particular series. Um, I don't think it's too much to say that he actually saved that series. Uh, I think that's a reasonable, reasonable summary, to be perfectly honest with you. And um, Tony, for all his eccentricities uh, and all his quirks uh, and, and interesting ways of doing business that he has, um, he's extremely successful at it and very passionate about the product. So you could never fault his desire to make GT racing popular in Australia or more popular in Australia and to grow the category 
uh, grow the competitor base and and build something very cool around it. Um, along the way, as is often the case with with individuals like that, and with with big, you know, grandiose visions like that, uh, some people get rubbed up the wrong way, and that was certainly the case. Um, at various points, they've had supercars offside and then onside, and they've had cams offside and onside, and uh, it's been a, an interesting little process. The competitors have been on and off as well at various times. So it's been a it's been an interesting roller coaster ride, and I think that old cliche is probably the best way to describe it. But what the the net result is that we've got a very healthy GT category. We've got strong fields. We've got 20 to 25 GT3 cars. We've got half a dozen GT4 cars, and that sector's growing quite quickly. Um, it's got a, a stable calendar with a couple of key events, um, both on and off the supercars program, which is the, the headlining act. Um, it's got the 12 hour to help underpin it, even though they're not massively associated. They are affiliated and, um, that we can talk about shortly in, in a minute. So it's definitely in a, in a better place than it was when he got it for sure, significantly. Yeah. And uh, his leadership and his investment in particular has been absolutely key to that. So, yeah, well done, Tony Quinn. GT Racing wouldn't be where it is without him right now. I think the key part of that, Creelsey, from what you said, is it's in a better place now than when he took it over. And I don't think there'd be very many people would, would argue with that assessment. So tell me about... Uh, we knew Tony was was thinking about uh, divesting himself. He's a businessman at heart as well. Um, I mean, I think one of the good things that he's done with uh, his time with Aussie GT is he hasn't let his enthusiasm for the sport cloud his business vision. He's always wanted to build it as a sustainable and stand alone type of of business and he's got to the stage where he wants to divest himself of it and good luck to him for that and tell me about the group that he sold it to because Trofeo is uh, a, a name that probably a lot of people over here won't know but what they will know is what they do correct so and, and just to finish the point on on Quinny he's a Scotsman so loves a deal uh, and <laughs> there, there've been no no figures released, but um, everyone's pretty certain that he did okay out of this, by the way. As I'm you sure he did. I'm um, sure he did. And, and the, other, the other thing worth noticing is that he's absolutely committed to running in the series for another two or three seasons, at least, as a competitor. Um, so he's going to back continue to back the product, which is tremendous. And um, the, the rumours are that he's got a, uh, got a new car on the way, and it's probably built in the United Kingdom somewhere. Uh, uh-huh. And... Uh, might be might be pretty sexy. So um, the new owners, Trofeo Motorsport. Trofeo Motorsport have been involved in Australian motor racing for 25 years, so they're well established, uh, headed up by a gentleman called Jim Manolis, who's a very successful businessman in all different sorts of fields. Um, they are the Australian Pirelli tyre distributor for, Australian, for Pirelli Motorsport tyres in Australia. So they've got a long affiliation with GT, and, and they've been the – sole tyre supplier for that category for probably four years now off the mm. top of my head. Um, in a separate deal, they're the control tyre supplier and a major sponsor of the Bathurst 12-hour in February. Um, they sponsor the Pirelli shootout for qualifying on Saturday. They sell 2,500 tyres at that event. So it's a it's a massive one both for the 12-hour and for, for Trofeo. Uh, on the flip side, 
long-term competitors. So Jim's a racer himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he has raced a variety of different cars. A lot of them have been a bit obscure, and he brought um, – do you remember the Maserati, uh, the Coupe GT3 cars that were never really that good? They didn't succeed a huge amount, but he ended up having three or four of those in Australia, oh, yeah. uh, racing those at a national and a state level. Um, he had a Corvette GT3, the the C6 Corvette in Australia that he ran – for a while, um, that was pretty good. Uh, went reasonably well at Bathurst. Unfortunately, was crashed, but Greg Murphy drove it. Um, he's good friends with Ivan Capelli, the former Ferrari Formula One driver. So Ivan's been out driving his cars for a long time. Um, and they're now the uh, Lamborghini Huracan um, Squadra Corsa distributors for Australia. So they're racing one of those in Australian GT. So that's their background. Um, they're heavily invested in the sport, which I think is a big tick. They understand it from a commercial perspective, which is a, another big tick, um, and they're already invested in it as a as a team. So they understand that aspect of it. They understand that the position that the teams, the brands, the manufacturers are in. So hopefully that can guide them in the way that they manage this series because they have this competitor's understanding, I suppose, and this business sense that they can use to, um, to operate the category. Uh, in some ways, is the man at the top at least not dissimilar to Jim Manolius we're talking about. Uh, not dissimilar to Tony in that respect. He's a businessman. Yeah. He's, he's quite a hard-headed businessman, but he loves his motorsport and is invested in it in every sense of that word as well. Yep, yep, 100%. Yep, very similar, very similar. Probably, uh, and, and to be fair, they're, they're both invested in motorsport outside of racing GT cars or mm. supplying tyres because Tony owns two racetracks in New Zealand, so he's got a uh, a reason to exist from a business point of view over there in motorsport to seek successful because he owns two fairly impressive circuits, one on the North Island and one on the South. Um, Trofeo's got their business interests from the race team from importing Lamborghini Huracans to sell here as a, as a customer team, basically, of the, the Lamborghini factory over there in Italy. Um, so, yeah, there are, there are many similarities. Um, but I, the number one thing is that they've got both got the weather all to yeah. back it up yes. so they can invest in it. So they've got the cash. So the financial security of the category ideally won't be in question because of this um, this sale, which is great. Uh, and he knows what he's getting into as well. This is not yeah. a nameless, faceless venture capital group who's looking at it to turn it over in a, you know, in a, a couple of minutes yeah. in terms of of of, of a time scale. Um, Trofeo Motorsport, based in Victoria, uh, look after Frame as well, the uh, uh, clothing and uh, racewear brand, uh, uh, as well as those Pirelli tyres and Lamborghini, one or two other bits and pieces. Uh, Rue helmets, I think, as well, if I remember yep. rightly. Um, they'll distribute those uh, very clever uh, US-based helmets that we've talked about before on uh, a number of occasions what does it mean in the short term and then longer term do we know uh i mean are there going to be any substantive changes to how uh, australian gt uh, does its business um well that at the moment is the million dollar question everyone's (laughs) asking and and short term no so they've acquired the series basically halfway through the calendar year so the remainder of 2018 is business as usual. They've got a couple of sprint, couple of endurance rounds to go before the series finishes. So that will all roll on as per normal. 
Um, they've started the discussion about calendar for next year. As always, with that kind of thing, rumours flying around like you wouldn't believe. Yes. Um, from complete reinvention of a, a brand new calendar to a lot of consistency and just tweaking it here or there. Um, my personal opinion, and this is, and I'll emphasise that this is only my personal opinion, that the irony of Trofeo getting hold of it, and and you mentioned before, supercars mm. certainly tabled an offer to try and buy the category about 12 months ago, is that there's a, a close business relationship between Trofeo and supercars via the 12-hour. Mm. As I said, they're a major sponsor of that event and they're the official control tyre and it's a long-term deal. So if anything, it's just going to make that communication between Australian GT and supercars potentially to be better. And I can tell you that supercars would love to have more GT content on their program. Ah. They own and run the 12 out. They understand there's a fan appeal behind these cars. There's it, It's good content. It fills a, a decent chunk of your race program at a time where support categories in Australia are, if not struggling – can be thin on the ground at times. So yeah. it's it's a sure thing to put on your program to entertain the fans, run longer races, you yeah. know, Audis, Ferraris, Porsches, people love these things. So yes. it, it just it just builds potentially builds a supercar event to be bigger and better. So my thought is that they might go down towards that angle um, and, and try and engineer themselves in the supercar program. Aside from the fact that supercars have got the best TV deal in the sport, yep. probably in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, they've got great infrastructure. It's all there um, and would be a, a really strong addition. That's my that's my two bobs worth. I, I think that would be a smart way to go. But they can they can keep some IP. They've got a 101-lap race at the Phillip Island Grand Prix circuit, oh. which is a standalone event for them. It's epic. I, I'd love to see them keep that. That would be yeah. amazing. And that's got a, a vibe and a feeling all of its own. So, yeah, balancing running your own show and, and jumping on board with the supercar program where there's the crowds and the TV, that's that's their biggest job. And I'm interested to see how uh, how that plays out, as is everyone involved. I, I think you make a good point there um, about the fact they know each other and they know each other not just on a business level, but the individuals concerned know and already work with each other. Deals have already been done by the nature of the relationship that they have so between Jim Manolius and the and the principals at supercars and the people who run events at supercars supercar events at the individuals within that as well the personalities within that they already work together on various things and I think that's really important um, to what you're seeing there um, getting the balance right and holding on to the character of an Aussie GT event and not getting swallowed up into a different way of thinking that that's a, that's a balancing act but ultimately yep. if it if it makes the category stronger then there's sometimes there has to be a bit of compromise and you know getting an getting an hour and a half or an hour's worth of Aussie GT onto a supercar weekend on a regular basis that wouldn't be the worst thing for the category would it rich no, no, I agree. And, and the, the team, a majority of the teams involved want that. There, there's commercial uh, decisions involved. So if you're a manufacturer who's got a customer sport team like an Audi or mm. you're, you, you're a Stephen Richards with, with major sponsorship from Castrol on laser plumbing and electrical. So they're legitimate commercial sponsors investing in GT racing. They're not 
rich guys going car racing for fun. Yes, good point. They want to be on a program where there's where there's exposure and where there's return. And in Australia, that's the supercar program. It's just mm-hmm. some people like it, some don't. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. But there is a balance to find and, and maintain their own identity because they're one of the few categories here that can run as a headline act away from that program yes. and put on a great show. And the 12 hour is absolute proof of that. And there are probably two or three tracks in Australia that would love to run a standalone GT endurance race, Phillip Island being one of them. The Bend Motorsport Park in South Australia is the other, mm. and probably Sydney Motorsport Park in, in New South Wales would be another one. Great mm. international grade circuits and would love to and could sustain a standalone event. Yeah, and and I think that is, again, you make a very good point. Actually, something that you said in there was something I meant to bring up. It's good to see that there are proper commercial sponsors in Aussie GT right now because that's not always the case, in, particularly in GT3 racing around the world. And again, credit Tony Quinn for getting that platform to the level where there, there are genuine sponsors coming in who are putting genuine dollars um, into not just putting a sticker on the side of the car but supporting it as well and making the teams... Um, business decisions a little easier for them fair point well made Mr Krill and it is Richard Krill who is on the other end of the line here on Midweek Motorsport we're talking all things Aussie Um, you mentioned a couple of of circuits there which I still need to tick off my personal bucket list Um, obviously one of uh, our favourite events is the Bathurst 12 Hours and Bathurst's in the news this week as well Rich uh, so we'll, we'll move on to that if we may and uh, someone that we've spoken to in the past Clive Bowen from Apex Circuit Design based in the UK along with his team David Broom and Jack Wheeler and Andrew Wallace uh, among others um, they have effectively been well, you tell me. Am I, am I right to say that there was a tender out for this mythical, already second circuit at Bathurst, and the tender has been awarded now? Correct, yeah. So, long story short, the, the, the brief history of this is that Mount Panorama, by law, and there, there is a state law in an act of New South Wales Parliament that called the Mount Panorama Act, that allows motor racing to be held on a public road um, and for the road to be closed off on four or five weekends maximum a year for events. So it, it works out to be about 30 days in total spread over four or five weekends at the moment. It's four, 12 hours, one of them, Bathurst 1000 is the other, Bathurst 6 hour, which you know and love now at Easter uh, is another. And uh, we still need to work on your driving that, by the way. Uh, and the Challenge Bathurst Sprint event at the end of the year is another one. So um, to maximise the facility, to maximise the benefit of being known as a motorsport town, the Bathurst Regional Council for a long time has been looking at opportunities to put a second circuit in. This has been going on for 10 years. Um, and the initial proposal was that they would use part of the existing facilities Logistically, that was not impossible, so they've moved on to running a completely separate standalone permanent venue, just over 4Ks long, located over the other side of Mount Panorama. So if you all close your eyes for a minute and pretend you're on a hot lap and you're heading up the hill and you go out of the cutting, you're grabbing gears, third, fourth gear, you go up to Salmon Park, there's that quick left and then the right. So if you turned your head there, turned your head right, 
you'd see a spectator bank. But then over the back of that hill, it drops down into another valley. That's where the new racetrack ah. is going to be. Um, so because it's being put together by a local government to go through the due process of all the government rubbish that has to occur with governments, they need to go to tender. Uh, there was a tender put out. There were three submissions received, and Apex were the successful ones. So in a nutshell, that's how we've got to this point. So now we go to all the costings and all the other stuff that needs to go on to get it built. But it's the biggest clear step forward that this process has had in a decade uh, and, and a step towards a meaningful second circuit actually getting off the ground and being built in Bathurst, which is tremendous. Not where I expected it to be. Um, having had chats with various people on my um, trips to Bathurst, I, I, I know the council had been acquiring some land uh, to effectively to drivers right on Conrod and then um, running down through the cutting. So this is a different part of, of the track from that. Yep. Um, and is that land owned by the council at the moment or would they have to acquire it, do you know, Rich? To the very best of my knowledge, they've quietly acquired all of that land over the last nice. five or six years. So the other land, that the proposal was that the circuit would go would verge off at the chase. So we'd go right at the chase instead of where we turn left and then run around in a permanent area there. There are a couple of different proposals. One would be a complete standalone circuit in that area. The other would that it would use the current pit building on pit straight Uh, and then heading up mountain straight, it would turn left across the campground and then come back onto Conrod straight and then shoot out in that new area. But Bathurst is growing quite quickly. Um, there are several new housing developments on that side of the town that are popping up. Yeah, there's no point in building a circuit there only for 10 years down the road. There to be 10,000 new residents in the town ah. complaining about how noisy this endless thing of car racing is, So, <laughs> which happens so often here you wouldn't believe. Um, the, the old um, buy a house near the airport and then complain about the airport scenario. Yeah, we get um, it here, so, Rich. Don't worry. We get it here yeah, as well. People yeah. who buy a house near Brands Hatch and then, spookily enough, uh, uh, their new housing development, they haven't put two and two together to make four, never mind five. Uh, I mean, just uh, just ridiculous. Apex are uh, top people. Um, mm. The last time that we were talking to Clive, I think was at Dubai a few years ago now when he was... Um, down there, and I mean, Dubai is one of theirs. They uh, built a, a specialty circuit for Malcolm Wilson. Uh, they've been involved in various projects in, in Australia uh, as well, in New Zealand. Hampton Downs, I think, was one of theirs. The Sydney Motorsport yep. Park extension, uh, that yep. was that was theirs as well. Th- these are serious people. So, you know, again, perhaps not the the name that everybody knows, but they'll know their, their work. It, it signals to me... Uh, a genuine uh, step forward and a genuine desire from Bathurst Council to make this happen. To what end, Rich? And I mean, we've talked about the five dates. There's still one weekend that I know James O'Brien is thinking about doing something on. James O'Brien, who, who from Yeehaw, who runs quite a lot of the events for, for Bathurst. In fact, all the events now other than the... The, the 12 hours which he started um, what what is what is the end game here for Bathurst Council what do they want to attract because quite clearly at four and a half kilometers it's going to be you're not going to get a Formula One sort of thing there I mean what what's the what's the thinking behind it 
Well, a lot of it is driven by uh, Bathurst's rich two-wheel history, um, and and th- there's an enormous. And you and I, I reckon it was year two that you came down. We walked through the museum, oh. and and we we recorded a, a show about that, and and talking about some of the two-wheeled history of Mount Panorama. And the people that race bikes at that place are completely and utterly lunatics. Put them in a <laughs> asylum, lock them up because it's perilous that joint. Um, and no right governing body in their mind in this day and age of OHS is going to allow two wheel competition on that track. It'd be amazing. And my thought is of Valentino Rossi blazing across the top uh, on a Yamaha MotoGP bike and just 150,000 people turning up. But it's not going to happen, which is sad. But they, they feel like there's a great tradition of two wheel racing in Bathurst, which there is. Um, and, and the way to get that back, perhaps, is to build another circuit. But we're we're short on permanent tracks in Australia, um, so it's very difficult. Every single circuit is booked out pretty much solid. Sydney Motorsport Park is booked 364 days a year, so it's very difficult to get on and build new events. Um, the corporate drive day market is booming, um, and this is why brand new circuits like the Ben Motorsport Park is going really well, why Phillip Island continues to be what it is, um, and there's half a dozen other permanent circuit proposals floating around at the moment that two or three are probably likely to get off the ground. So um, there's that market of it. Um, And for mine, though, they've got to be careful because Apex, and I'm I'm talking about Apex here, and for all of their credibility and their credentials and everything they've achieved, you know, you get asked by a rich sheik in the Middle East to go build us a circuit. Here's a blank check. That's brilliant. But to build a brand new circuit at the spiritual home of Australian motor racing, I reckon yes. carries an enormous amount of weight. So fantastic they've got it. Great business, done good things. They've got to nail this. They've got to make it really cool. It's got to be something special because just over the other side of the hill is the best 6,213 metres of road, certainly in this country and if not for most parts of the world. So They've got to be careful and get it right because no one's going to drive the two and a half hours over the Blue Mountains to go to Bathurst to race on another, you know, turnkey circuit that you could get anywhere else in the world. It needs to be something unique and iconic. So hopefully they get that. Um, The designs have released are just a guideline. So there is some elevation on the ground. It's natural elevation. So I think that will play a great role. So it's not going to be a flat billiard table surface. Um, I, d- I hope they nail it. I really do. Because if they do, it'll be exciting. I would love to go to Bathurst for more motor racing throughout the year because yep. it's such a cool racing town. They love motorsport. They genuinely love it. Uh, Clive Bourne, who's the founder and director of Apex, when we did the interview with him, it's a couple of three years ago now at, at Dubai. And I must follow up with him, actually, because I, I need to sit down and talk to those guys. He talked about, because I love the, the layout of Dubai. I love watching motor mm. racing there and I love driving ar- around it. That is one of the events I would actually really like to do. Uh, I nearly got a, in fact, I was offered um, a P2 drive there and didn't have the time to, to, to do it um, a couple of seasons ago from for the guys at Ginetta. Clive talks about mistake-inducing corners and I, I think that that's a really good way of of looking at it. So you're you know you're talking about please don't make it another cookie cutter circuit. Um, mm. I just don't think that's in um, their lexicon 
Um, I really don't. They, they they know their job. There are as you know, you and I get to talk to some great people, and one of the great things that that we do is talk to people who are enthusiastic about what they do. That tends to be motor racing. These guys are, are as enthusiastic about designing good circuits, circuits that are good to race on, as any of the racers that we talk to are enthusiastic about racing, and I yep. really like that about them. And I. I I think they go in there with their eyes open. Um, and I'll, I'll try to get in a hold of, of Clive in the next couple of weeks and, and have a chat with him. And uh, we'll, we'll try and get that on, on the show. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Krillsy's on the line from Australia. And uh, we're talking the big Australian news at the moment. We've gone through Aussie GT and Bathurst. Uh, the the £90 gorilla is always... Uh, £190 gorilla. £900 gorilla. Uh, is... Um, is always supercars and supercars are, are taking a bit of a, a leap um, coming up for their next event. The title race uh, shaping up into pretty much a two-man fight between Scotty McLaughlin who leads and Shane Van Gisbergen. And next they're off to Sydney Motorsport Park. No, no surprises that they're going there. It's on the long circuit. It's quite a long race. But it's in the dark, Creelsey. And the last time yes. that I can remember supercars racing in the dark, funny enough, they were in the Middle East uh, in 2011. And it's even longer ago that they had a night race in Australia. So long ago that, um, I mean, was Scotty McLaughlin? He must have been two or three years old, Scotty McLaughlin, when they last had a race in the dark. Well, how many years ago is 1997? Uh, is it yeah. 21? Yeah. 21 years? Well, Scotty was two when they last raced. So call to park uh, on the road course there, it, which which was a cool cool little racetrack on the outskirts of Melbourne. It's still there, but it's completely decrepit now, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so it, this is this is a massive experiment for supercars. This is this is taking a big leap. Why? Why, Krillsy? Why are they doing this? Well, because it's 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 a leap into the dark, pun absolutely intended. <laughs> I know that they had a, a lighting test there a, a few weeks ago to see if it was all going to work. It has to be a television spectacle. And for yep. me, I mean, we talked about bikes early on. One of the great spectacles of MotoGP um, and superbikes is any time they get those bikes out in the dark. And when they do the Cata yeah. race, it, I mean, it's the way the colours pop. It's the way the, the the things look in the dark and the and the contrast levels. It is like looking at a video game. So I, I I guess I can I can see that. Why do supercars need to do this when they're already the preeminent uh, motorsport in Australia? Well, there's a couple of there's a couple of different threads to that. But number one is that no one goes to that. Sydney Motorsport Park round. So Eastern oh. Creek's out in the western suburbs. It's difficult to get to. You spend your life sitting in a traffic jam in that city as it is. Um, there's no direct public transport to it. So traditionally, it's been a difficult racetrack to get people to go to. So this is a roll the dice kind of moment and go, look, let's try something different. Let's condense it down to basically one day. There's there's a one practice session on the Friday, um, and then on Saturday, there's practice qualifying. Boom, 300K race that starts at 7.30 p.m., mm and we'll be done by 9.30, and that's it. See you later. Go. Um, so it's almost Speedway style, which I think is mm. great. Um, so it's it's having a go at seeing if a different, a dramatically different format works in the sport and seeing if it brings crowds to that venue, which would be which would be great because it is a good – it's a really good racetrack. It's one of the driver's favourite circuits, long flowing corners, high average speed, 
Um, a lot of risk for reward to be gained there. It's a technical challenge for teams to deal with as well. So it, it ticks a lot of boxes. But for whatever reason, Sydney siders who traditionally don't go to sport in huge numbers like they do in Melbourne anyway. Um, so this is something different um, just to, to see what happens, basically. And, and I, it's great because they're investing in it. They're spending a lot of cash to light the place up so it works for television. Um, and, and the other thing is that it's a, a bit of an experiment to see what it does for TV ratings. How does it go on a Saturday night? It'll be competing against Aussie Rules Football and National Rugby League. So they're the two preeminent sports. So can it hold its own against those direct to re- direct on a Saturday night prime time audience? And, and if it ticks a lot of those boxes, then it may be a way to go in the future and, and try this at different events, different circuits that either need to be revitalized or are looking for something different. The other thing is there's a lot of rumors at the moment about a shift in the calendar to run over summer. And I know that'll be extremely familiar to um, fans of the world endurance championship. So that's the hot rumor mill at the moment. And, and this, this sort of has got a bit of that written all over it in that, well, let's see what this product does running of an evening because there is a lot of appeal in rocking up at some circuits on a, a Saturday afternoon in summer when it's 30 degrees, beautiful, warm afternoon, sit down, watch the motor racing on a Saturday night and go home. So it's going to be big. It's going to be a really interesting weekend um, and, a, and a massive experiment for the sport to see how, how you know, everyone reacts to it. But I'm excited. I can't wait. As, as you mentioned, race cars under lights are awesome. And the Singapore Grand Prix is traditionally not one of the most exciting Formula One races ever to be held. But you watch it because it looks dramatic. Correct. It looks fast. It looks exciting. IndyCar have done it for years and years and years and are amazing. So, yeah. I, it's, I, it's I, just- I love Saturday night short track racing for that as well, um, you know, in the States. Uh, I, there's some, if I, you know, Jeremy and I, if we ever get the chance um, and our schedules permit, if there's a Saturday night short track race under lights, we'll go to wherever the local thing is because obviously we haven't spent enough time at a racetrack uh, during the day. Um, it was originally going to be on the short circuit, this, um, but it is going to be the full, it's nearly 4K, isn't it, around um, the full yep. version of, of Sydney Motorsport. And, and, and the drivers seem to have had an input into that and seem to support that. Yeah, and, and it will make better racing as well. So the short track, the short track's a great little circuit. And in fact, they raced on that circuit uh, in 1996. So it was actually before it was rebranded supercars. They raced on the short track. But there's maybe one overtaking opportunity on that one. The longer track is a much better driver challenge. You know, we talked about mistake-inducing corners. Well, there's about three more of those on the longer circuit that can set up overtaking moves. So it's a much better driver's track. It'll be a much better spectacle. They, they needed it to – this race, to, to give some context in this, this is probably going to be – the most important race in the championship year. One race under lights on a Saturday night. So the Supercars point structure awards 300 points every weekend, irrespective of whether there's one race, two races, or three races, or at the yes, Grand Prix, good point. four races. Yes. So Bathurst, 1,000 Ks, 300 points to the winner. Sydney Motorsport Park, 300 Ks, maybe two hours of motor racing, 300 points to the winner. Mm. So this is an enormous round in what's a pretty compelling championship at the moment. So if if the Red Bull Holden racing team, Shane Van Gisbergen, who's 135 points behind Scott McLaughlin, if he drops it and has a bad round and Scott wins, that could dictate the way the championship yeah. plays out for the remainder of the year. 
yeah. quid pro quo, if Scotty has a, a disaster in DNFs, which he hasn't done all year, Shane Van Gisbergen would find himself leading the championship going into enduro season. So it's an enormous round. It, it's in, in the context of the year, it's an absolute biggie. I love it. I love it. Uh, support, action, Porsche, Wilson, security, uh, Carrera Cup Australia, Australian GT Championship and Porsche Carrera Cup Asia are all there on Friday and Saturday. And uh, as far as the big race is concerned, local time, uh, just after build-up started around 7 o'clock, there's going to be all kinds of firework displays and uh, lighting. And they're saying it's going to be a, quote, grand final style. So they're going to go to town on this. And that's just after 7 o'clock local time on Saturday August the 4th. Work out what time that is where you are because there will be coverage uh, in Europe, of course. Krilzy, love it, mate. I take it you're going to be there for that. Uh, yeah, absolutely will be. So I'll report back the week after. It's going to be uh, it's going to be really cool. Smashing, mate. Great to speak to you. Thanks for taking the time out and uh, go and grab yourself some breakfast. Will do. See you soon. Which trail there uh, and uh, more from him uh, I'm sure in future episodes of Midweek West. But I just want to quickly, John, uh, talk about World Rally Championship. Right, yes. <laughs> You'll never get Nick saying that about World Rally Championship and rallying. I just did. Yeah, that's very good. Um, <laughs> they are uh, back good. from their summer break this weekend. They're at the greatest uh, rally ever. Which is, of course, the uh, Neste Rally Finland. Vascular. I just retweeted something this morning, actually, which was a great piece of footage from the Gazoo uh, Racing Toyota cars leaving their factory without transporters because they're so close they can drive to the service park. It's fantastic. It was like a scene from the Italian job, the Scandinavian job. It was good. Liked it. Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, Finland is uh, where they're off to. Uh, Thierry Neuville and uh, Sebastian Ogier uh, are battling for the title. Uh, 149 points versus 122 uh, is the gap at the moment. Also, just to prove we're still live, 154 for four. Excellent. Well done. Uh, and tomorrow night, Tora Racing? Uh, yes, at 8pm. 8 o'clock, UK Toro Racing Show for this month. Uh, plenty of action from the virtual world. Tim? Yes? Remember what we used to do, where's Tim and where's Nick? Yes, and we also did where's Johnny and where's John at some occasions, didn't we? Well, where's Johnny this weekend? Uh, Johnny, uh, as in John, Palmer. John, oh, where's John? John? Okay, yes, where that, am I this you. weekend? Uh, I don't know. Are you going to... What's on this weekend? It is motoring related rather than motorsport. Ah. Uh, is there some kind of... Uh, we've already had the Coventry thing, haven't we? That yeah, was a couple on. of months ago. Hang on, I'll give ago. you a clue. Give me a clue. I'll give you a clue. Have a, have a listen to this. This is quite important that you listen to the tone of this. Can you hear that? Take over. Hang on, just slam the door. Rev it up a bit. What do you think that... That might be. Don't I think that's say a, car. a truck. <laughs> You're right. I think it's a, a sports car. What's what's? The, it's a particular type of sports car and a particular type of type of sports car. Hang on. There it goes again. Uh, it's a German one. Oh, very good. Uh, very good. 
rear-engined. It's Do you Porsche. Think so? Yes. But but it's not just any Porsche. Is it your Porsche? It, it or is could... it the responsible adult's Porsche? Uh, ah, now thereby lies the big difference. Which one is it? Hang on, I'll I'll bring it back because I can I can I can you do can that. Do that. <laughs> was that it backwards? No, no, that was actually. A... So, question is: Was it my six-cylinder Porsche or the responsible adult six-cylinder Porsche, and why would that make a difference? Uh, well, I don't know. They're both six-cylinder Porsches. Uh, one is rather older than the other, so depending on what sort of car show it is, one of them may be eligible and one of them not. Yes, well, there you go. If I said Luft was involved, would you... you you've got I'd a say 99-ish balloons. Uh, 99-ish Luft balloons. Very good. Luftgekult comes to the UK. Luftgekult is? Uh, the Cult of Air. Air-cooled. Uh, Air-cooled. Cooled. Of course. Gekult, not gekult. Gekult. Yes, with an umlaut. Um, five events have been held in the States. Uh, Pat Long, a Porsche racing driver and well-known air-cooled aficionado, uh, has been involved in this. And for the first time ever, Luftgekult comes uh, out of the USA and it's heading to Bista heritage on sunday and i'm delighted to say my 993 will be there and so will i so if you're going there uh, make sure you come and say hello and uh, i've got a couple of friends going as well with air cooled 993s lufka cooled is air cooled of course um, if you haven't already got your tickets you well i would give it a try it's luftgekult.com uh, forward slash LuftGP. I will. I'll tweet that. It is worth going on Sunday. Uh, if you've got an air-cooled Porsche, then um, really make the effort to go. You'll get uh, special parking. If you haven't got one, it's all right. You can still go and you can have a wander round. Uh, that's just about it for tonight. If yes. you uh, can, I say get well soon to Adam Christodoulou. Oh, is he not well? Uh, he uh, in the British GT race at Spa at the weekend had just taken over from his teammate, pulled down to the pits halfway around the lap, it burst into flames. Oh no! And he was taken to hospital in Liège. Uh, that Standard. means he's missing the. 24 hours of uh, spa this weekend and they've had to bring in uh, a friend of the show tom onslow cold as his substitute oh very good uh so okay well good luck to talk to talk and get well soon to adam uh, tomorrow night eight o'clock it's it is the Torah Radio Show. We'll be back next week when I will be at America's National Park of Speed. Uh, there's no time to explain because the well the uh, the Llama is all about air-cooled. Andy. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.